Welcome to Embedded Edge with Knitting, a podcast that brings to life the stories behind today's embedded systems, technologies, and products. It's the show where you'll hear from both engineers and executives on some of the most topical news and most pressing challenges in the world of embedded system design. Here's your host, Editor-in-Chief of Embedded.com, Nitin Dahad. Hello. Welcome to the second of my two episodes of Embedded Age with Nitin from the 59th Design Automation Conference in San Francisco. In the first episode, you heard me talking to Siemens EDA, Synopsys, Cadence, Brecker, and eFabless. In this episode, I widened the net from the traditional EDA companies and talked to PQ Shield, FlexLogics, ProteinTex, Arteris, Menta, and AlphaWave. I also met with Intel Foundry Services, but that was a strictly no recording interview. But I can say I had an interesting conversation with Rahul Goyal, whose official title is Vice President of Design Ecosystem Enablement. I also met his president, Randhir Thakur, who talked earlier this year about his bold vision for IFS with the IFS Accelerators Ecosystem Alliance Program. Goyle talked about being part of a customer's innovation pipeline, providing access to EDA tools, IP, PDKs, and so on through its ecosystem partners. Some of the threads of the conversation align with a panel I moderated on democratization of silicon at DAC, as well as a meeting I had the previous week in Santa Clara with the founders of Silicon Catalyst. On the democratization of silicon, Goyle talked about working with universities, startups, and making shuttle access more available. And then the whole concept of the ecosystem program is similar to Silicon Catalyst. However, the big difference with the, is that Silicon Catalyst has aligned with the ecosystem to provide in-kind benefits to startups in its incubator program. Back on the show floor at DAC, I spoke about post-quantum cryptography, EFPGAs, connectivity IP and chiplets, and more with PQ Shield, FlexLogix, ProteinTex, Arteris, Menta, and AlphaWave. Let's get this episode started with my interview with PQ, PQ Shield. I'm with Alan Grau, VP of Sales and Business Development at PQ Shield at DAC. Hi, Alan. Hi, Nitin. How are you? I'm good. Uh, tell me a little bit about PQ, PQ Shield. So, PQ Shield is a company that was founded in 2018. We're actually a spin out of the University of Oxford in the UK. And we were formed to, you know, in recognition of the fact that new standards were being developed for post quantum encryption algorithms. So, essentially, the next generation of encryption algorithms to replace RSA and ECC and to address the threat that quantum computers create for these existing encryption algorithms. I think for most people, maybe some might know a little bit, and most people probably don't know a lot. Tell us what is post-quantum cryptography, and why is it we need it, and how will it help us be secure? The reality is that quantum computers are advancing quite rapidly, and quantum computers are, are very good at solving certain problems, one of which is factoring large prime numbers. So the time is coming, you know, most experts predict, you know, later this decade, roughly, that quantum computers will be able to effectively break the RSA and ECC encryption algorithms. And so to solve that problem, new encryption algorithms are being, have been developed that will 
allow um, use in, on existing computers. They can run on, on today's computers. They can work with today's protocols and applications, but they use different mathematical approaches you know, behind the scene. They're not easily broken by quantum computers. So it's a, a new set of encryption standards that will have to re- be, will be used to replace RSA and ECC wherever they're used for a very, very broad set of use cases to ensure that these systems remain secure once quantum computers are able to break these algorithms. And I think uh, NIST, NIST uh, has announced some sort of uh, early uh, standard algorithms, haven't they? Yeah, so NIST actually, this process started about six years ago. And so NIST, literally a week ago, on July 5th, announced the winners of the round three process. They've gone through kind of three rounds of narrowing down the set of candidates, and they've announced four algorithms to be standardized. So we now know what algorithms are going to be standardized. We've got a very good idea of what those standards are. And, you know, it, as PQ Shield was one of the early um, companies in this space, we've done a lot of work with NIST helping to create these standards. We have implementations of these algorithms already available, so companies can start building new systems using these algorithms that have been um, selected for standardization. Tell us a little bit about your products. PQ Shield, broadly speaking, has two, uh, two products that we offer, or two classes of products, rather, that we offer. One is software SDKs, so software implementations of the algorithms that can be used in a broad set of use cases. So we have a, a library that will run on IoT devices um, and a separate product that will run on you know, servers or mobile platforms or desktops. So we have you know, software SDKs to allow implementation of these algorithms on a, on a broad set of use cases and platforms. And then we also have hardware IP, so hardware implementations of these solutions that can be used for building a custom ASIC or running an FPGA, and again, allowing implementation of the post-quantum encryption algorithms on new platforms. And your business model is a, license, a licensing and royalty model, uh, very similar to what the Fabulous uh, industry is doing. Yeah, for the hardware IP it is. For software IP, it's either that model, if it's an OEM-type use case, or a subscription model if it's more of an enterprise software use case. And uh, finally, just tell us a little bit about the customers and how, why PQ Shield uh, cryptography. Yeah, so we, we have two announced two licenses that uh, licensees that we've announced um, that, that have given us permission to talk about them. One is Microchip, um, who've licensed the technology uh, for use in some of their future products, and then Collins Aerospace, part of Raytheon, um, are using our technology as well. Um, you know, Collins Aerospace obviously is providing solutions into the defense sector, you know, so critical infrastructure, um, highly secured systems, and needing much, much higher levels of security for those types of devices. And then, you know, Microchip obviously is building um, you know, computing platforms that will be used in, you know, critical infrastructure applications and other environments that require high levels of, of data security. Alan, thank you very much. Thanks. I'm now with Andy Jaros, VP of IP Cells at FlexLogix. Andy, hello. Hi, glad to meet you, Nitin. So, uh, Andy, tell me, what's your main focus here? Uh, well, the main reason we're at DAC is to promote our embedded FPGA technology. Um, it is very robust. It's been in the marketplace for a number of years and widely supported on a number of process nodes. Um, we're seeing many more customers adopt the technology, and we're out spreading the world word and trying to meet with more architects and designers to share with them what they things that they can do with a reconfigurable dynamic, dynamically reconfigurable ASIC. 
one of their key value propositions from the beginning has been around providing more area and using something, doing something clever with the interconnect. Is that right? Yeah, and what kind of makes us unique is that our interconnect is really area efficient. Um, so we get the same number of lutz per square millimeters of full custom design from the major FPGA companies. Uh, and so when you're looking at embedding FPGA fabric, uh, you're really going to get the best density with our technology. And because of our design methodology used in standard cells, we're very portable. So we already ported to six different process nodes uh, with very small teams in a period of less than uh, six years or so. Uh, so we're very scalable, very portable, and we can support a wide variety of applications from 1,000 LUTs to over 250,000, 300,000 LUTs. The key types of customers are people who've got variable data processing needs uh, within there, and I think aerospace and defense have taken that up over the last two years, and you're seeing other interests as well. Tell me just a little bit about that. Yeah, so at the aerospace and defense market, they were the very first ones to kind of really adopt this type of technology, but we're starting to see that spread to the commercial world, um, mainly for areas like 5G, packet processing, networking, networking switches. And really the kind of the use cases that come up are, uh, come to a couple of different ones. One is really packet processing where you're trying to do some uh, analysis on wide packets. Security is another big area where customers want to keep their proprietary codes and circuits secret. So they'll put it in an FPGA uh, on their chip and then program that embedded FPGA after it's been manufactured so they can control the, the actual circuitry within their own domain and not have to worry about shipping the, that circuits to their designers that might be offshore. Another area where uh, we're uh, also adding to a security benefit is working with a partner, uh, Intrinsics ID. Uh, they were leveraging their Puff technology to be able to secure the bitstream. So you have a bulletproof uh, security solution with a secure bitstream uh, working with Intrinsics ID and our embedded FPGA. And uh, that sort of builds on some of the other announcements recently, like with your, um, your announcement with Microsoft, I think. Uh, yes, it does. Uh, so uh, just this week, we announced uh, uh, working with Microsoft on the Ramp 2 program. So we're in a, a group of high, uh, the, the best uh, technology companies in the world uh, working to uh, enable fast chip development in a secure environment uh, at the advanced process nodes. Uh, and of course, embedded FPGA is part of that uh, to offer that degree of security uh, for those chip developments. Andy, thank you very much. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. I'm now with Uzi Baruch, Chief Strategy Officer of Proteontex. Hello, Uzi. Hey, nice to meet you. You're a five-year-old company, well, actually three years, but uh, two years in stealth. Tell me a little bit about the company. Um, it's out of Israel, but uh, the founders are from Mellanox. You've got some good pedigree behind you. What do you do? Hey, so yeah, uh, fa our founders are quite, uh, you know, uh, long time in the industry. They've been uh, dealing with challenges, creating devices, chips and systems for a long time and thought that, uh, you know, this space needs new innovation. So that's kind of how uh, Proteantics was uh, incepted, uh, all the way from uh, the idea of embedding uh, hardware devices, uh, IPs inside uh, inside the chip and combining it with software that knows how to analyze uh, and drive actions with that. In a very simple terms, you know, this is providing bits of IP to monitor uh, what's going on in the chip, but you're also doing uh, the software at the various levels, you know, providing different levels of code. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. The IPs are quite uh, unique in the sense that they're not limited only to test and they're quite vast, meaning looking all the way from the standard stuff that you, you would know on, on process, you know, temperature, uh, power and so on, but also operational and performance aspects that goes along the entire 
value chain. So that means that we're active on system, not only on the chip level, but also on systems uh, and in field uh, and connecting between the hardware and the software pieces at all of those uh, stages. So what you're doing is you're providing in-field monitoring IP with the software. How does that fit into a design flow? Right. So we've been investing quite a lot uh, in building the integration into the your standard integration flows, the uh, implementation flows with the synopsis and the cadence. That actually uh, makes it quite easy. We're suggesting to you, based on your problem, uh, what kind of IPs, where to place them, and so on. Uh, and once your chip is, so to speak, is born, data comes out through standard interfaces, and then you leverage the analytics and the uh, machine learning and the, the BI stuff uh, to drive actions uh, during manufacturing and in-field. And how do you differ from what else is out there, uh, both from the tools providers as well as com other competitors? Right. I think we, one of the unique differentiators is that we've built the solution ground up between the IP and the software. We're not bits of pieces of different technologies that are trying to combine uh, one another to acquisitions. Uh, the idea behind it at the end is a multitude of, uh, of IPs that looks at different stages, uh, different uh, measurements inside the, the device, not limited to DFT only or, to or concepts around DFT. Uh, operational, meaning they work as part of the seamless process of the applications running uh, on top of your device, uh, either on the system level or on the infield level. Uh, and that's quite unique because most of the existing technologies today are quite limited to test. And uh, you've recently announced a relationship with VIA. Um, what are you doing with them and, uh, and who are your key customers? Yeah, so Viar is quite uh, an innovative company. Uh, we're proud to be part of uh, uh, of their business. Uh, we've been integrating with them. You know, they're, they're building a device which is targeting uh, safety, uh, ADIS related, uh, uh, at least for automotive. They, they are quite active in many verticals, but specifically for automotive, what we what we we are doing with them is aside from helping them throughout the manufacturing stages. You know, automotive is high demand on reliability, quality, and whatnot. And of, of course, maintaining yield and low cost. We, we're actually providing them with the full software stack that goes into their ECU, which, which they're designing uh, as an offering to their customers uh, as part of like an integrated flow of their uh, um, radar on the one hand, our software uh, for health and performance monitoring that helps them kind of maintain good quality, good reliability of a device, and also help them drive actions in a car environment on a running ECU, running car, uh, with a real application. Well, Uzi, thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Nadine. It was a pleasure. I'm here with Michal Savinsky of Arteris Inc. Uh, Michal, hello. Greetings. How are you doing? Can you tell me a little bit about Arteris IP? Great, my pleasure. So Arteris is the secret sauce on how system-on-chips are designed and specifically how the connectivity of all the elements that goes in into the hardware and software gets pulled together. What are you providing your customers? You're providing that ability to connect all the bits of IP, is that right? Absolutely, and we do it by providing IP that actually does the connectivity as well as the automation platform around it that enables for the IP on the chip as well as the embedded software and potentially other parts to really be connected and traced together. How does that make you different from other companies? Uh, so we're in a unique position that we're actually the only ones that are truly focusing on this aspect of connectivity and providing really the right level of automation that is so SOC specific, yet is also across all kinds of verticals. And that puts us in that kind of unique position. You, you made an announcement here. It's a, a new partnership. You've got a customer. Can you tell me a little bit about that? 
Absolutely. So we announced a partnership with Innovative, which is a uh, very hot uh, startup company out of uh, Israel. And fundamentally, they're doing some breaking through technology in terms of vision processing across virtual reality, uh, robotics, um, uh, drones, and other applications. And of course, we're very glad to be able to partner with them to providing the right level of IP for this very, very high and complex vision processing that they do so they can deliver best-in-class silicon technology. And vision processing, I mean, it's, it's a part of a trend, which is what you're seeing around a lot of everything having AI, machine learning, you know, a lot of processing uh, for lots of things. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about some of the trends you're seeing there? Absolutely. So fundamentally, we're seeing a huge amount of uh, data be, being processed, be it data for vision, data for machine learning and application intelligence, as well as for just you know data centers and hyperscale computing across the board. And of course, as more and more of that very high complexity data computation is taking place, the underlying system on chips are getting much more complex. And as such, the, the way you connect them and how you optimize the connectivity to really create a great experience for the end user is absolutely paramount. One of the big areas I think that's driving what you're doing at the moment, and I think you were telling me earlier, was um, it's around autonomous mobility, but in lots of different areas. And why is that? Yeah, so autonomous mobility is interesting in the fact that it's a combination of not only having the right level of edge computing, but edge computing that needs to be done smart with the right level of sensing and processing. So we're seeing, you know, ADAS and other aspects of it being a great driver for a lot of innovation in the market right now. And we're very glad to be one of the key suppliers and partner to many of the OEMs, tier ones and system companies doing this development. Uh, and you're saying that uh, OEMs uh, are—they're uh, coming directly to you, uh, so yeah, to sort of understand a little bit more about what they need to do. Absolutely. So we're seeing that you know since ADAS became such a since ADAS became such a prominent part of how people are doing designs, a lot of the times the OEMs are basically directly influencing, requesting how the tier ones and the semis need to be doing the development, including working directly with companies such as us to make sure that the ends pieces of electronics that ends up in these very complex cars and transportation devices are absolutely meeting their standards. Michal, thank you very much. Pleasure. I'm with Johan Dupré, Managing Director of Mentor. Hello, Johan. Hello, Nitin. It's a pleasure to, to see you here. Just tell me a little bit about Mentor. So Manta is a semiconductor IP company and we provide embedded FPGA IPs. So it's the ability for our customers to have some programmable logic inside their SOC or ASIC. What are you showing here at DAC? Oh, we have uh, quite a lot to show at DAC. First, we show, of course, our IP, which is available as a hard IP and a soft IP, which is quite unique. Second, we show uh, the partnerships we have with other companies like Codazip and Endes, who are doing S5, with Everspin, Everspin sorry, who are doing MRAM, uh, STM RAM uh, chips. Uh, and we also uh, show, of course, uh, the, the team and our expansion that we have now in the U.S. Right, you've just hired a new person to lead your U.S. operation. Is, is that because U.S. is a big market for this? Indeed, yes. U.S. is growing quite uh, quite a lot. Uh, Jesse Buzik has uh, joined us to do the business development, and uh, yes, and grow up on the customer base, which is keeping growing up in the in the U.S. Okay, talking of customers, uh, so tell me what what typically are your customers doing with uh, product. So we have typically two markets. The first one is space and defense. So it's ranging from people doing security cryptography, doing control, motor controller accelerations for AI also in, uh, in space, or keeping their secret sauce based on the EFPGIP. And the other one is the edge, which is a big box where we put uh, IoT, uh, automotive, and 5G base stations, for example, which is also a big market for us. 
interesting. And why uh, why would somebody use Mentor EFP, EFPGA rather than uh, elsewhere? So first of all, we are available on any technology node, uh, any process, no requirements on the technology on the Metal Stack. Second, we have a software because an EFPG IP without a software is just a piece of wood. It's not, uh, not any use. So our software is self-contained from synthesis down to P-stream generation. And uh, uh, third, the IP itself is completely design adaptive. So we adapt to the customer requirements, not vice versa. And uh, you said uh, some of the customers are already shipping in millions, is that right? Yeah, that is right. We have a 5G customers shipping in millions today uh, um, in, in Asia. In? In Asia, in China. Okay. And can you say a little bit more about how, what they're using the solution for? Yes, they use the uh, EFPJIP into the front-end radio uh, to be able to cope with changes in the 5G protocols. Well, Yuan, thank you very much. Thank you, Nitin. It was a pleasure. I'm now with Tony Chan Carason, uh, CTO of AlphaWave. Tony, hello. Hi, nice to be here. Tell me a little bit uh, just about AlphaWave IP. AlphaWave has been focused on 112 gigabit per second DSP-based transceivers for, for five years now. And so I'm here participating in a panel session and uh, talking a lot about our technology and our roadmap. Tell me a little bit about that roadmap. And uh, You've just acquired um, Open5. And uh, that's kind of taking you from that core transceiver IP to doing chiplets and a lot of other stuff. So tell us a little, little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. No, we're really excited. You know, we had our IPO last year and, and that event has allowed us to accelerate our move in this area. And the Open5 acquisition is part of that part of that move. Right from the start, we've been focused on solving our customers' connectivity needs. And so we did that at first, focusing on uh, IP, uh, DSP-based transceivers that includes a thin but critical layer of analog RF circuitry, uh, followed by DSP that allows us to create many variants of the IP to suit different markets. But now, you know, as things evolve into this new chiplet world, a lot of the connectivity needs are going to be solved by chiplets. So we're moving, we want to continue to be able to solve our customers' needs in that way. In fact, they're pulling us in that direction. So in addition to providing them the IP, for those customers that want it, we can provide them an I.O. chiplet that'll um, do either you know, an Ethernet, again, PCI Express. And in some cases, um, those needs will include optics interface. And so there we can provide a, a chiplet solution that'll do that. So Open5 is, a, is an ASIC company, and they have a lot of capabilities in that area. And so we're really excited about the acquisition, accelerating our, our move in that area. And from what I understand, they add, add the sort of digital and the ASIC design capability as well as some of the chiplet capability to what you're offering. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as we create all these new variants, the IP, hard and soft IP, um, you know, having that large team is going to be a great asset. And that takes you to about 600 people, uh, assuming that deal goes through. Yeah, by the end of the year, we're looking to be over 600 people. That's right. And that's from what, 250 now? That's right. Currently, we're at 250. Uh, a lot of that's in uh, Toronto and Ottawa, Canada. And uh, we've also got locations in California, UK and the Far East. What are the problems in providing that um, uh, those chiplets, I think you know, there are some standards uh, coming up, but you said there's still some challenges in de developing those high-speed um, connectivity IPs. Yeah, we, we definitely look forward to a future where the chiplet ecosystem is mature and open and standards-based so that you know, we can really accelerate innovation, really enable more, 
more companies to participate in the chiplet world. Um, and, you know, so we're, we're active in, in pushing forward interface standards to help make that, make that a reality. But, you know, for the time being, uh, you know, mostly what we see is, is custom solutions uh, emerging in this area. So, you know, we're happy to work with, with customers on those types of solutions. But, you know, in the future, I think to really open up this area, it needs to be, it needs to be a little bit more, uh, more of a, an ecosystem solution. Well, Tony, thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks very much. So that brings us to the end of this second episode from the 59th Design Automation Conference. If you missed it, feel free to go back to the first episode under the Embedded Edge podcast section. That was Embedded Edge with Nitin, and I'm Nitin Dahad. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.